welcome to episode three of the Mac Gamecast, a podcast where we talk about Mac games and related Mac gaming things, history, culture, tech, and gaming on Macs and all kinds of fun stuff. I'm John Carr, and with me today is some old and new faces. We have Casper joining us very late. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Sorry, by late it meant it's like one in the morning for you, not that you were late. <laughs> yeah. And big shout out to Ted. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, doing well. And the all new debut first ever, Lily. How's it going? Hello, I'm doing good. Fantastic. Thanks everyone for coming. Quick rundown of what we'll be talking about. Um, some new Mac gaming releases or recent Mac gaming releases on Steam anyway. Some games we play, if any, I say that every time. I've been a liar, cake is a lie kind of stuff. And then our main topic is going to be about um, connectivity in games, um, connecting with friends, family, strangers, or any of those kinds of experiences, social, personal, etc. Um, do you guys have any... Have you looked at any of the games I linked in relation to like the news um, at all? It's fine if you didn't. But if you did, I would let you like talk about them rather than just me chatting. I had this interesting idea where I'd be like, I wouldn't say the name of the game. I would just describe it and be like, would you play this? <laughs> you know, that, almost like a little pseudo game show thing. Um, I don't know how much time that would take up. And I'm keen to get to our main topic. But um, but let's, you know, maybe, maybe like that might be its own sort of podcast almost. I got the idea from somewhere else. I'm not that original. Um, but uh no, we'll just we'll just get into it. Um, probably the biggest one is, I guess RuneScape has a Mac version now on Steam. It's part of me, part of in the back of my brain, is thinking RuneScape had a Mac version like forever ago, but maybe it never did. Um, Ted, you're more of an MMO guy than, well, at least me or Casper. Um, have you ever played RuneScape? No, I never have. I, I actually. Oh, um, I was asking you next. So, I, just real quick note. Um, it was on PC, or uh, sorry, it was on Mac back when it was played in browser. They recently shifted to uh, um, a independent uh, engine download, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, engine. right, standalone download. Okay, oh, okay. See, I'm not crazy. I knew there was something like RuneScape Mac back in my head, but I never got into. Yeah, it. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Ted. No, just, cut I, me I, off I'm... all you want. That was a fascinating bit of info that actually makes this all the more interesting, news-wise. Yeah. Thank you. You are now the official historian of all things gaming. Um, speaking of history, um, so it's not out yet, but the, I, is it right to say it was like, was it the observance, 107th observance of World War One was the other day? I don't know what the exact word is, I think. Um, but anyway, there's this company, developer, publisher called M2H, who makes uh, Verdun, Tannenberg, and the upcoming Isanzo, um, a collection of World War One. um shooter tactical well, tactical the right word lily how would you describe these games probably more of a, a tactical shooter yeah right no run and gun call of duty stuff here yeah, um if you try and run and gun across an open no man's land you're not going to have a great day yeah <laughs> it's going to be a very short day <laughs> what's interesting about the game you know what's terrible not about the game, about me, is I have a written Verdun review from, like, 2014 or something that I believe never got published. Um, but it's there. It's on my computer. 
Um, anyway, it's a great game. I had a lot of fun. I played some of it with Lily back in the day. It focuses a lot on trench warfare, which is really cool. Because, um, you know, typical World War One or Two shooters, whether it's Call of Duty or some other ones, like, I don't know, Hell Let Loose or there's other names I can't recall. They're more in, like, open scale more like almost battlefield style type gameplay. This was very much down in the trenches, that no man's land, barbed wire kind of warfare, very, you know, very neat push and pull across the the fields and, and stuff like that. Um, was Tannenberg the same, Lily? Because you played that one and I didn't. So I was actually very disappointed with the original release of Tannenberg Ooh. because it didn't really have that emphasis I'm not sure if it's just because I played it so early, because you know a lot of a lot of games are doing early access releases and whatnot, mm. um, that they hadn't fully implemented it. But it seemed more like a capture of the flag type thing at first, kind of like Call of Duty Domination in a way. I see. Okay. But when I looked back at, at it later, it was very similar to Verdun, just obviously translated to the Eastern Front. So, um, at least in my opinion, they made it better. Cool. Right. So Asanzo is well, going to be placed in the Italian front up in the mountains in the Alps. Apparently, that sounds pretty cool. Graphics look way better. It doesn't have a hard release date other than 2021. But the previous two games always had max support, I believe, from launch, which is why I'm mentioning it. Um, but go, you know. Uh, and also, I think the first game was free on Epic Game Store or something recently. Maybe it's not currently, but it was. So that's also what made me think about it. Or it was on sale or free, something like that. Um, so it was RuneScape. Asanzo isn't necessarily new. That isn't really worth mentioning. Uh, the only other thing, there's a few other little games people might want to check out if you're into like simulators, strategy, casual stuff, mini motorways. It's like this sim planning thing with your city. Um, where you got to build the roads for your cars efficiently. And I never got into those games. They're very popular somehow. Um, there's this really odd sort of uh, robot fighting game, which I've never heard of somehow, but just got out of early access, called Clone Drone in the Danger Zone. And it basically reminds me of, like, pixel robots fighting with lightsabers, pretty much. Or voxel, sorry, voxel robots, not pixel. Wrong word. So that was interesting. Um, and apparently it's well-rated on Steams, and it's got a whole campaign and multiplayer PvP and go-op and all this stuff. So it sounds like a, a... fantastic name. I'll give it to it. <laughs> yes. Clone Drone in the Danger Zone. It's a little, uh, like, say it five times fast. Um, <laughs> but it's overwhelmingly positive on Steam, so it must be good. Um, I've been, you know, it's got a promotion right now. You can save a whopping uh, 2 or $3, $3.00 on it from 1999 to 16.99 boom um those sales almost kind of make me laugh i mean it's still a savings if you're going to buy the game but it's not like whoa a sale uh anyway publishers are going to do that the last bit of news um news uh mac gaming news another upcoming one total war saga troy um have any of you what's what's our familiarity level as a group with total war if any Casper. I've played uh, Total War None. Medieval ages ago, like back when that was actually a new game. <laughs> like right, the, the, right. the first Medieval, not the Medieval 2. Sure. And then I played a tiny, 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 tiny bit of Troy. I think like 30 minutes to an hour. So Okay, really, well, really, that, really okay well that's good. It's a good starting point. So you might have an... I want to talk about that briefly. Um, Ted, you said no, no experience yeah, from you. Yeah, nothing at all. No. Gotcha. Um, Lily, how about you? 
I've played every single one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm a bit of a Total War fan. It's right up my alley, you know? Absolutely. It definitely is. So, <clears throat> sorry. Um, Troy, I was really hyped for Troy because I love the you know that time period i like the whole iliad and odyssey thing all the myths around it and the game in one way captures that very well i don't want to get into like a whole review discussion but i do want to talk about it a little bit for one this has been an epic store exclusive um for almost a year it's coming september 2nd to steam if you're some weird epic hater i say weird because i don't believe you should hate on other platforms that aren't steam um well it's coming and what's also coming is an expansion pack called Mythos. And this is really interesting to me because I believe this should have been in the base game. What do you mean DLC should have been in the base game? Uh, what I mean is, Casper, uh, because you've played it, and Lily, I presume you have. Or, so mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's gods in the game. You can worship various gods, Zeus and so on and so forth. You have, you know, legendary heroes like Achilles and so on. And they have their own unique powers and abilities. Like Achilles is very temperamental and moody. He can get like really angry or really depressed or whatever, and you kind of have to manage his temper, which is funny. So each person you pick has kind of a little bit different way to play. But you can, you know, offer, I forget what it is, prayers or tribute to the gods. And based on the level you offer, they grant you various benefits. So the gods are in the game, the heroes are in the game. But then when it came to any sort of, you know mythical monsters of the era whether it's i don't know medusas or cyclops or what have you they're like whoa we can't have any of that in um which is a little contradictory to me i suspect they may have done that consciously to avoid being too similar to total war warhammer maybe is my guess because that's still the most popular total war game well total war 2 specifically now and when total war 3 releases end of the year early next year i'm sure that'll take the crown um but now they're adding this Mythos DLC where you can actually go and, like, fight and recruit monsters like Hydras and what's in here. Cyclops and some of the things I just mentioned. Supercharge your armies with divine powers. It's like, that's really cool. Why wasn't this in the base game? Um, as far as I know, Troy was designed as a bit of an experiment by um, Creative Assembly and Sega and all that. Um, I mean, they offered it for free day one on the Epic Store. Yeah, that it was, was just, really cool. That's it was just why free. I actually played it yeah, exactly. That's where I got it. So they just gave <laughs> out like essentially like presumably like millions of copies of it for free. Um, and it's uh, what did they call it? It's it's a Total War saga game. And before that, there was what Total War Britannia and maybe one other. The like Three Kingdoms. Three Kingdoms. Wait, oh, Three Kingdoms was a saga. I believe it was. I, I'm not I'm sure about sure that. That's accurate. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they tend to be a little. They're almost spinoffs set in their own, not universe, but they aren't like necessarily as full-fledged maybe. And they usually mix up the mechanics a little more, add a little more experimentation. So Troy was interesting in that it was all melee units. Other than I think there were some guys who threw javelins, other than then they were melee. Like they had a few javelin rounds and they were melee. So you didn't have your typical like siege units and archers and or musketeers or whatever it is from all these other Total Wars cannons and so on and so forth. I personally didn't like the game that much it felt a little flat to me because they didn't go all in on this concept of like the era like the whole troy saga to me anyway um i like the heroes i like the gods but otherwise it was just a little eh the mythos pack seems really cool maybe that would spice up the game enough where i would love it i don't know but casper you played a bit of it what do you think 
I don't feel like I've played enough to really give a very good conclusion on what I think of the game, sort of. Um, I think the period stuff was actually, from what I could tell, done done pretty well. Uh, and I, I like looking at the character list and that sort of thing and just going, oh, I know these names from reading the Iliad. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of fun. Um, and also what you said about Achilles and stuff, that, that sort of fits in with how he behaves in the Iliad and stuff like that. I thought that was really cool. Um, but gameplay-wise, I don't really think that the Total War series necessarily appeals that much to me. So I don't think I'm really in the target market anyway. Right. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I mostly became a fan uh, of Warhammer because I'm a Warhammer fanatic. And thusly, I became a Total War Warhammer fanatic more than a Total War fanatic. I've, I've tried lots of them. I think the last one I got more into was, I, was there a Hannibal? Total War Hannibal or something? Uh, Lily, you might be able to help me out here. There was, uh, there was Total War Attila. Attila, you thank you. I'm, my brain, I'm getting old, as you pointed out earlier. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, Total War Attila. I think that was the last one I thought, like non-Warhammer one I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Lily, what's your opinion, if any, on Troy? Oh, I have feelings, but I'm going to keep it brief. Um, my pr- impression from playing it at first was that they were kind of going for the reality behind the myth angle. Hmm. And you could kind of see that in the units, like the Minotaur was in the game. But if you look at it, it wasn't actually a Minotaur. It was just a very large guy <laughs> with a bull head as like built onto his helmet <laughs> and like a big mace and stuff. So you know, it, it was it was kind of clear what they were going for. And I think they kind of read the room, uh, Creative Assembly kind of read the room and was like, okay, we have this um, sort of fantasy um, environment, you know, even though historically we know there's some truth behind the Iliad, but they were still very much going for the Iliad, but trying to make it grounded in reality. The problem is that just kind of made it feel like a staler reskin of their existing games like you could play a whole greek campaign in total war rome 2 and there was more variety in the units there was more stuff to do the campaign was longer so i think that maybe they were i you know i don't know if it's like they released these dlcs as like a oh, we need to make it more Troy. We need to make it more Iliad and the Odyssey and, you know, include these mythical elements. Or if it was a purposeful decision to hold that back and then release it later. But either way, I think the DLC is a good move um, to get, you know, I think they have the Amazons. Um, and then I think there's one that, that released some um, historical characters like Ajax. Right. Um, and then, like you said, the, the Mythos DLC, that's all the, the creatures. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I really think that should have been part of the base game. Like, if you want to do the Iliad, do the Iliad, right? Yeah. Like, no, what, yeah, you, you summarized my thoughts much better than I did. Um, I forgot to mention, like you said, they have the Minotaur and even some other mythical creatures but yeah it's really like a guy in an animal skin or whatever it's like a, it's yeah. kind of a cop-out but you also made the interesting point oh like the the reality behind the myth sort of thing that is an interesting angle but then but but there's gods in the game you can worship and gain tribute and favors like if they remove uh-huh. the god aspect and put in something else i'm not saying they should have but that would have 
been less of a contrast. Um, so it kind of pulled you into this fantastical side, but then was like, whoa, cut it off at the units. And that was like, that's weird. And like you said, yeah, a little, a little stale, but they have released the Amazon pack, the Ajax and Diomedes. Um, and of course the, the usual blood pack as always, you know, two ninety nine. they got a nickel and dime. Of for course, that. of course, of course, of course. Cause it's a T T rated game. I mean, anyway, and, it, yeah, you know, it, and and that could have been an interesting angle, the truth behind the myth. But by branding it as Troy, I feel like they gave it expectations. Like mm. if they called it like Total War, like Mycenae or something, you know, like like make it more of a historical perspective, then that probably would have marketed a little differently. I agree. You know, I there, there's an element had, of expectation yeah, in there. I definitely had expectations based on the name, hundred percent. Um I don't think anyone thinks it's a bad game, but I think the general critical and player base is like interesting, does some interesting things, but as Lily said, a little stale, a little mass. So maybe these DLCs spice it up into a place. It's great enough. Um, it's also harder to see, you know, we're not getting into Epic Store criticisms, but their review systems subpar compared to Steam's. So let's just put it that way. So I'm interested to see when Total War Troy comes to Steam, you know, wider releases also with this Mythos pack how it rates um, among the fan base. That it's, that'll be interesting to see. Um, but this isn't the Total War cast, though that would actually be pretty fun. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, anyway... There's I'd be down for that. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, actually, maybe we'll do that. Uh, like, I have I have too many ideas, but there there's room perhaps in this space for little side side shows sub shows or whatever you want to call it spotlights and other things specific topics only um we can talk about that some other time though um there's probably a few more games with mentioning but as ever you can go to steam or epic or apple's apple store <laughs> mac app store and poke around what's new we're gonna get into the main discussion of the podcast which is going to be broadly speaking um our experiences in games relating to uh, either social aspects or personal connecting with friends, family, or strangers, anything like that. Um, seeing as Ted's been a little quiet due to all the Total War talk, uh, Ted, would you like to start uh, regaling us with any fond memories, thoughts, past or present, about like gaming You know, in this context? Yeah, I, actually, it's been a lot of fun for me in the last uh, couple of years. I've, uh, well, actually, I've been playing with one friend for probably 25 years, um, a variety of different games, which every one of them had a Mac version. Oh, nice. <laughs> he was a, P he's a, P he, I shouldn't say was, he's a PC guy, and I'm a Mac guy, and we played everything, you know, from for years, but we've just, I'm finally getting tired of uh, World of Warcraft, so... I did that since you know since it first came out, and uh, so we're looking at moving on to something else. But um, it's kind of neat because I've been, I mean I've been friends with this guy for longer than that, but we've been playing games all this time. We get the, it's the nice part about it is being able to visit with a friend that's not necessarily nearby and chat about whatever all night as you're playing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, oh, yeah, what have you been up to? Yada, yada, yada. So that's always been nice. But another interesting thing that happened to me a couple of years ago, or several years ago now, um, I got back in touch with my younger brother, who I've lost touch with for many years. 
And turns out he's also a Windows guy, but loves gaming. And uh, so we just started playing games together once a week. And it's kind of nice getting back in touch with somebody after all that time. So um, it's, you know, what have you been doing type of thing. But we also play games. And he's got a lot of experience with some of the older uh, Win-based games. So I try to do a lot of the, you know, Mac side whenever I can with when it's available. But, some you know, a lot of times it isn't. So, but, uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. I really enjoy that aspect. But I've always been, you know, I, and I want to hear what you or everybody else says, too, because I've always been really kind of like shy online. I'll go out of my way to help somebody if I'm playing an MMO and I'll, you know, say, oh, do you need help with this? Or, you know, if somebody's looking for help with a particular troublesome part of it and i know what to do or just have i'm around and i have nothing better to do whatever i'll, I'll help them out but I've never really never really been the type of person to like make a you know like a friend that way and i have um a really a, a relatively good friend of mine who met his wife playing world of warcraft and they got together and they got married eventually. (laughs) And I thought that was kind of interesting, but I mean, they're both nice people. I mean, you know, she came to Connecticut where I am and uh, they got married and I met her and I went to the wedding and everything was just kind of cool. And uh, you know, it just, to to me, it's like, I play with people all the time, but I've never really make any relationships. So I'm really hoping you, the rest of you guys who apparently do that as well, you know, what do you do? friends <laughs> and and you know it, i mean it sometimes i guess it's really i'm kind of like an old world nerd you know back in the <laughs> old days if you were a nerd you you basically nobody liked you so that's kind of where i'm coming from i mean you know that was in the 60s and the 70s and uh i was into all that technology stuff and you know people were like you're weird go away and so, you know, I mean, I had a computer back then, you know, <laughs> and nobody else even knew what they look were. So, um, excuse me. I was, was going to say jokes on them. You're the coolest guy around now with all your technology. No, stuff. but yeah, I don't have a problem with it now. I mean, I just, you know, I've been living with it my whole life and I, I really love this stuff. But anyhow, we'll like to hear what everybody else says, too. Absolutely. Um, Lily. You specifically requested to hop on because of this topic, unless you read another topic and I'm wildly misinformed. Um, that would be comical if it, <laughs> but, uh, you know, what, uh, what would you like to share, if anything, or chat about in relation to this? Yeah, no, I just, you know, I have made a lot of friends online and, Most of it, like you mentioned earlier, is through gaming, clans, guilds, whatever. Um, And it's kind of interesting because I've been in a lot of different communities. Um, I've had an interest in FPS really early on. I actually met you in Call of Duty. Yeah, Black Ops 1. Uh, Black Ops 1 on the Mac. Uh, And then I kind of pivoted into MMOs. And then from there... I still do play MMOs, but not nearly as much as I used to. And then I kind of pivoted into strategy games. So um, tactical shooters and just outright strategy, um, like Total War, like Arma, like Verdun, uh, Mm. and Cannonburg, Isanzo, that, you know, games like that. And I've, I've been in a lot of different communities. 
and I've made a lot of friends. So, you know, that was just the topic that kind of that kind of made me want to to hop in on this is is um is we talked about um how games can be a tools for connecting with friends and family and it's like when i when i think about the friends that i made um i have friends in uh new zealand in australia in south africa in england on the other side of the states in canada you know just all over the world and it's really just it's really moving to think about sometimes that i would never just n- no chance i would have met any of these people if it weren't for oh hey that that clan in in final fantasy 14 looks looks cool i'll join them and then i just talk to people or you know that that clan in in black ops like this this random guy john carr he seems like a neat person i'll talk to him and so that's that's just a really magical thing I feel that that gaming can accomplish. It's just providing us with those bonds that we never would have shared otherwise. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to refrain from commenting right now and hand it over to Casper to talk first. All right. So I'm going to take perhaps a slightly different angle to it um, because as a lot of people who are as regular listeners uh, will know is what I'm trying to say, uh, I am mostly interested in single player games i do play multiplayer games but i mostly play single player games but that being said i still think that single player games even can be um, something to bond over and even a powerful tool for bonding with people Um, one aspect that separates games from a lot of other media and entertainment is the interactive aspect to it and i think that that interaction and personal connection to the things that happen in the game because you're not just passively observing it, you're involved in it and engaging with it. Uh, I think that creates experiences that when we talk to other people about them, um, we talk about them in a different way than if it were a film we were talking about or something like that. So while two people who both watched the same film might have a conversation like, oh, what did you think of it? And uh, did you enjoy the twist or whatever, right? If two people have played the same game, they're are so many conversations that can spring from that. Like, uh, did you even experience this aspect of the game that I experienced? Because you might have taken two different paths if it's a story-driven game or something like that. And you can talk about the differences in the experience in that way and gain um, interesting conversations from it. And even the, the language we use when we talk about the games will often not be, this happened to the character, but you'll say things like, I discovered this monument in this game or something like that and personalize it to the, I did this in the game sense. Um, and I think that that, that way we use the language and the way we feel about the games in that aspect, uh, create something interesting in, in, in conversations and bonding. Um, now on a multiplayer aspect of things, that interaction aspect to games, um, also means that we won't just be, sitting in silence we might engage and talk while things are happening and um, something i've been playing recently is um, a lot of uh, tabletop games but it also digitally right so using websites like roll 20 or um, programs like tabletop simulator you can play tabletop games with your mates or strangers for that matter 
uh, through the internet. Uh, both of those are functioning on Mac as well, of course. Uh, Roll20 being a website and Tabletop Simulator uh, works on Mac as well. Um, and I've used those tools to play, for example, Dungeons and Dragons with people online and made really good relationships with people that way. And mostly I'm, as I said, a single player person and I don't necessarily engage with that many online uh, games and communities in that aspect. But when you have that sit down and talk to people and engage in an active activity like that, I feel like it's it's easier to bond with people, uh, even at a distance, which it will be if you're play, uh, talking to someone my, thousands of miles away online, right? Um, yeah. You get to do something together. Yeah, it's really cool. I like the angles. Um all of you have mentioned um, Ted's older than all of us. So we, you know, we went through a different time. I caught a tiny bit of that growing up, not a lot, um, but a little, a little bit of even stigma from some of my family and friends, honestly, like uh, he's kind of the gamer guy. He's a little too much in the gaming. I mean, I would still run around and play outside and whatever too all the time, but it was a very like deep passion of mine from when I was young. Um, and I never had the desire to like make games, but I knew I, I just love computers in general. Um, I do web development now, but that's, I just, I just love gaming. It's a big part of my life. And for on both aspects, both on that single player side, for the reasons Casper was just talking about, um, you can have some amazing conversations with people over a single player game. Often again, whether they're story driven or narrative or not, usually if they're not, if they're not necessarily story driven, there's often like, well, maybe it's a, uh, you could choose a different character or a different class or something. And you know, I played the soldier, I played the engineer or whatever basic examples. Um, and, oh, how was that? Or, oh, I had access to these gear and you didn't, or I could do these actions and you couldn't. And then it's cool to talk about it like that as well. I absolutely agree. Um, tabletop simulator is really cool, has all kinds of games in it. Um, the digitalization of board games has been very interesting to me because they are coming out with standalone apps for, um, some bigger game, well, bigger games in the board game space, what they call designer space means not Monopoly or Clue or something, but like bigger games, um, Root or Wingspan or Gloomhaven. These are like top rated games in the designer space. And they have like standalone apps now on Steam. You can just go and play them again, play them with strangers, friends, solo co-op, whatever. And it's even gone reverse where they're taking video games and making board games out of them. Um, there's some notable ones. Slate Aspire, they're making one. Uh, Frostpunk. Um, what's it called? Darkest Dungeon. Some like notable PC Mac games. Um, that's a separate conversation. But it's it kind of there's this sort of crossover space now where I'm into you know computer gaming heavily, specifically, also into the board gaming hobby. So I'm having some sort of these crossover conversations with people in different in different spaces, different communities. But I don't want to get too far into that tangent. That's just been me lately. Um, but historically speaking, my biggest drive has been either joining or creating communities in the gaming space. Um, starting way back when I was 16, I joined a Warcraft 3 clan. Um, shout out to like OG Blizzard back when they were good. Ha ha. Porn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know, that was a very interesting experience at the time. Um, my best friend had just moved overseas, actually, who was 15 with his family. Um, some of my, bro my one of my brothers was off in the Navy. My other brother was off working. My sister, I think, had went to co school, college. For some reason, it was just me. My father had to go work. And it was just me and my mom. 
in the house for the winter. Um, so that's when I, that was like my first foray into gaming communities. Before that, I'd been playing multiplayer games. I would dabble in StarCraft, um, a lot of Myth. Shout out to Bungie back when they were mm. Mac only. Woohoo. Um, a lot of Myth and Myth 2. I played tons of that multiplayer. I never joined like a group, just a lot of hopping in games and, you know, they had their random chat rooms and stuff. You could yak with people. So that was like my first multiplayer stuff. But then Warcraft 3 came along. I loved it so much. And I was just feeling this need to connect with some other people, make some friends because my friends had moved away or were away. And um, my sister, she's my twin. I'm close with her. You know, she was off. So I'm like, I felt I wasn't conscious. I'm just looking at it now, you know, in uh, in hindsight, what drove me to that. And I met some, you know, random people and joined a clan. And then like the leader left and suddenly I was put in charge randomly. I don't even know why. He's like, I'm out of here. You're in charge. now. I gave you all the permissions and admin and everything. I'm like, what? Um, so that's <laughs> that. Um, got me my first idea and sort of managing a group of pe- a group of people around gaming, managing, building, etc. You know, setting up tournaments with other guilds or clans, and um, you know, friendly challenges and skirmishes or whatever. And that that really appealed to me. Later, I got into that pretty big with Halo. Halo One, of course, was on the Mac back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that was a lot I of fun. Actually, didn't know that. Say what? I, I didn't know that Halo was on the Mac. Like, it, oh, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, Maxsoft, I believe, was... Oh, uh, yeah. Gearbox? Uh, so... Well, bunch, well Halo, Halo 1, right? Yeah. was made that by was Bungie. Bungie. Yeah. Gearbox it ported it to PC, and then I believe Maxsoft ported it to Mac or something. Yeah. Yeah, that was back before Bungie got bought by uh, Microsoft. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what yes. Weren't they bought before they ma- uh, finished making Halo One? Wasn't it while they were making? Kung no, Halo? they were they were making. Uh, what was that? Um, Kung Fu fighting game. I can't remember the name. Oni. Of it. Oni. They were making Oni when they got purchased, and they finally got Oni out. And uh, that's and then right after that, it was you know they went over to the Microsoft and you know the Xbox thing. But uh, yeah, I played. Jeez, I think I played through on the first uh, Halo thing about five times. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I love that game. I just played it again because I can play. I I got the uh, Master Chief thing on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Steam, and I I just played it again. It was it was like oh what nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, the Master Chief collection is great. Interestingly enough, apparently uh, Halo One in the MCC as they call it Master Chief Collection, um, will run on crossover. Um, someone really? had a video of it, I think, on an M1 Mac with crossover. The, the M1 can do crazy stuff. We've been talking about it. People are running Witcher 3 on it, GTA 5, um, Halo, whatever, all kinds of stuff through like really? layers upon like, layers of emulation. And... Crisis at 60 FPS. Ha ha ha. Probably that is not. the <laughs> ultimate test. You're right. It'll probably, <laughs> it might explode the computer. Um, <laughs> but it yeah. can do it. That's all that counts. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the maybe yeah, the next version. That's new MMO that will do that. Oh, uh, new world, yeah. Um, <laughs> new world, yeah. Uh, I want to touch upon Lily, uh, Lily's experience in mine here, and the next like sort of big chapter in my life there. Because I'm not getting into all the details, but there's times when I, you know, of course I wasn't in a clan and I was just gaming or gaming with a buddy or something, and again sharing those experiences. Oh, I, you know, I was this character in Diablo, or I made this choice in that story in Divinity Original Sin or something. Um, but then Black Ops released for the Mac, and I just, I just made a huge community push for it. I was out there advocating for it, sharing it. You know, oh, it can run on this like 2013 MacBook Air. 
I had a nice iMac at the time, but I was also seeing what the absolute minimum it could run at because um, it was way below would... system spec for Sorry. a MacBook Air. I, I was your advocate for the MacBook Air, if you yes. remember. Oh, I don't. MacBook oh, Air. okay. <laughs> There's like, I'm trying to think, yeah, why did I do that? Um, and um, I rented my own server for it because um, it had, you know, player servers at the time. Um, I made a, two clans around it. I started, uh, I got into voice chat. Of course, back then it was like TeamSpeak Vent and Mumble, I think might have been newish. Uh-huh. Or if it wasn't new, it's what I just got into. Um, and that spawned this whole sort of domino effect of other Mac people getting into making their own Mumble groups and all this kind of fun stuff, their own custom servers and with rules. And it was, it was a really fun time. Um, and the, we got pretty big because it was all Mac users. And there was quite a few people on the server. It wasn't Discord. It was Mumble. Um, I don't know. At any given point in the day, it seemed there was like 10 or 20 people on. Uh, I was working from home then. And before I'd come back, there was just always somebody on doing something, playing usually Call of Duty. I mean, I think my Steam log is at like two and a half thousand hours for it or something. Um, put a lot of time into it. A lot of fun. You know, <laughs> just multiplayer, clan stuff, custom matches. We used to do like 1v9s or whatever. Um, you do you remember Justin Lily Muzzle Muzzle Tough? Of course, I remember. Okay, Justin. so brief brief aside, brief aside. So there's one time on Kowloon, if you remember that map with all the rooftops in the rain. Of course, um, I remember. Yeah, that one. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a one v seven or one v nine. I forget which. And I'd killed everybody except for him. And the little sneaky rat. He's a total sneaky rat, and he wouldn't even mind me saying that. Um, I killed everyone, and I even had dogs. You know, I had everything. I had blackbirds. I was just destroying. Um, but then I ran out of ammo and there was no guns because the guns decay over time. So even though there were guns, they had disappeared. And he had crawled up that ladder to that little like hidey hole where there's like some ACs or something. And I couldn't get up there. I was out of ammo, out of grenades. And of course, the dogs can't climb ladders, though that would be hilarious. Um, so, I, so I couldn't beat him. I think I had a ballistic knife, but he was hiding, so I couldn't shoot him. So I just had to try to crawl up the ladder, and obviously he shot me in the face, and I lost. Um, but that was like this funny aside. I don't know. It's like this is something I want to segue into is the the customization of the game space is so interesting because, of course, people bond over things all over the world. They bond over love of sports and cars and, you know, I don't know, some people collect stamps, whatever it is they do. There's common ones like sports. Let's just say baseball. Um I don't particularly like sports. I like esports, but people love sports all over the world, all kinds of stuff. So that's an easy example. But what if in baseball or soccer, you could modify it? What if you could suddenly put it in outer space or add aliens or like the ball explodes if you don't throw it after two seconds? Or you know what I mean? Like mutators, modifications, custom rules, the game space creates, whether it's purely fictional or more realistic simulation like Arma 3 or some of these games that we mentioned um, simulator type games you can also modify the rules it creates a very interesting exploration of well either reality alternate reality past present future whatever um you know cause there's games that are like historical and settings and this and that wild west stuff or medieval things or of course future you know cyberpunk's pretty big right now i just mean in general not necessarily the game cyberpunk 2077 um and to me that's also fascinating that you can take in many ways, this experience that someone's, or, you know, a single developer in some cases or many developers on big teams have made a game, but there's often ways to modify that experience. Steam does a really interesting interesting job of this with the Steam Workshop. Not every game has it, but many do. And it's often user-created 
um, adjustments in mods and or there's just I'm remembering in real tournament term a mutator you could just go in and play like completely different experiences um, so I think that's also really cool um, just as part of the whole creative almost experience a little bit what Casper uh, was talking about like the personalization of it like um, yeah I made these choices or I engaged with this way or then maybe it's a sandbox game and yeah, you do things no one else does at all. I mean, that's probably why things like I don't play, for example, Minecraft, but every now and then I watch like best of Minecraft creations video and it's just mind blowing what people will make, you know? Um, and so for me, uh, the, the importance is like, I've made some really good friends. Um, Lily, of course, met her way back then, um, been friends ever since. Funny enough, we don't game much, but I'm pretty sure we've talked about games more than we've spent gaming together, but that's still, it's still fun. Um, and of course we share cat photos and whatever, but, um, another good friend of mine from the black ops days, this guy named Daniel in Norway, it's not his real name. His name is something you can't actually pronounce in English. So we just said to call him Daniel. Um, <laughs> I've been friends. He was in, um, call of duty clan, the Bamps. Um, what was his name? Uh, my God, Sumanto. That was his name. I don't even know what it means. He probably knows. And it was just one of those things, right? I wasn't, Back then, I'll try and not talk too much about Call of Duty, but it was such a big part of my gaming life and memories. But I remember playing free-for-all a lot, and I was just killing the scoreboard to toot my own horde. And suddenly, in my games, there was this guy who was who was beating me and competing with me in the top spot. I'm like, who's, who's this guy? Who's this jerk? How dare he, you know? So I ended up trying to chase him down and find duels with him and everything. And I might have even said a few rude things to him. I don't know. Um, way back when... But he was super cool and everything, and somehow we just got to talking to him, and I'm like, this guy's really cool, you know? And he was the first... I'd made, I had acquaintances before Lily was talking about, you know, making friends. I think he was the first, like, friend friend I made um, online. Evidence to that, again, nine, nine years later, we still talk, like, every day. We hardly play games anymore because he injured his hand. But, we, you know, we used to play other stuff in our clan, um... Left for Dead, and uh, I don't know. We played through some co-op, like four-player co-op games. Dead Island got a Mac release at one point, and some fun stuff like that. Um, but Call of Duty was was our main was our main thing, and then we got big into Dota two and all this stuff. Lily hopped on a few times there, played. Uh, you're mostly a League person, so that didn't wasn't your jam. But yeah, just the the gaming space is really cool for so many different reasons. Um, I think it's worth mentioning not to be preachy or something, but people can spend too much time on it. Um, it can be unhealthy, but, you know, free will, adults, or if it's kids, presumably parents should be managing what they're doing. Don't go overboard. If you have responsibilities, don't ignore them. You know, be practical. Um, work before play, whatever. Um, I specifically remember... Mm, must have been when I was 14, I think, 13, 14, in Deus Ex had just come out. So it was like 1999. Deus Ex, I never remember, I know how to say that. Uh, the, you know, the original one, Iron Storm and everything, um, Warren, Warren Spector. And I think I played it, not all in one sitting, but in a course of a day for like six hours, five hours. And that was like insane. It was like the most I'd ever played. I remember telling my buddy who did some gaming at the time and he was like, what? It like blew his mind. Like it was impossible that anyone could spend that much time playing a game. Now it's probably fairly common. 
Um, but I remember being weirdly proud of it <laughs> when I was 14, like, ah, I just like gamed all day. It was great. Um, I mean, I'm 14. I, you know, I was just doing some school and whatever, but nowadays, no, I couldn't really game for six hours straight. Uh, I guess there's a few right. things I might've binged, but not often. Go ahead, Casper. Sorry. I think you make the important point there though, about like when it's too much, because I think it's fine to play a lot in one sitting or in a short period of time, as long as it doesn't come at the neglect of something else, right? As long as you're taking care of everything you need to take care of and you're not like having a negative influence on the rest of your life because of your uh, gameplay, right. play as much as you want, I think, right? Absolutely. I'm really mentioning it not because of direct experience, but, uh, well, maybe my buddy Daniel, actually, I, I think he injured his hand gaming too much. Um, and he, he was like, well to do, he didn't have to work, but he had school. And then like he games so much, mostly on like World of Warcraft and Diablo three, like he injured his hand and then he had trouble writing. And like, he, then he got, mm. well, it was a real wake up call from like, whoa, I got to get serious. And he just hard, hard cut gaming. Like he was kind of a hardcore guy that way and got really into like fitness and therapy. I think he's still like, but he hardly games anymore as a result of that. But now he, now he, you know, does his school and stuff. I mean, I don't know how much it, you know, I guess where it happens doesn't matter, but I remember reading occasional stories of like, man dies in gaming cafe from gaming nonstop. I mean, that's really extreme. Um, cause they're just playing and not eating or sleeping or drinking water and they just kill over and die. It's like, okay, clearly they have some issues, but you know, yeah, just gaming's great. Uh, just got to be responsible. That's all. And then again, I'm not trying to be like really preachy and get into it hard. I just want to mention it because here we are talking about how great games are and a little bit of what I've seen. I don't have kids. Um, my, my brother's old, two older brothers do. And my oldest brother has started to introduce games to his kids. Um, you know, one's 13 and one's nine. Um, and he has them on stuff like Minecraft, but in creative mode, not the like PVP where there's like monster zombie mode, you know, he doesn't want them just like fight, kill, rah, rah. He wants them to show some creativity and like build things and explore and sort of learn that, um, some simple like puzzle and RPG games. He has some play as well. So you maybe have to demonstrate some critical thinking like, Oh, I have to switch to this character or that item, you know, to overcome this obstacle. And, you know, he's, he used to be a school teacher. So he's interested in it from like that. Um, what do they call it? Pedagogics. I think like, information and learning of children and all that or how they learn mm -hmm. and how they absorb information and all these things um and that was the first time i had really gotten oh well, welcome back ted that was the first time i had seen it from that angle and i thought it was really cool like oh that's neat because i've i've really interacted with kids online other than the occasional like for some reason there's a kid in an m-rated game or a lobby and they're like guys i'm a kid could you like stop swearing or something and you're like why are you here? <laughs> but sometimes everyone's everyone's super cool about it and like, you know, watches their language or whatever. Um, so that was interesting to me to see that, you know, and every now and then I think at a friend's house, he played a little Call of Duty, Black Ops 3 or something, this 13-year-old boy. And But mostly he plays, yeah, some like basic things with some parental oversight, not too strict, not too, you know, just, yeah, you know, go go crazy and play whatever. And of course not play all day all the time, you know, do your schoolwork, do your exercise, play with your sister, do your things. Here's some gaming time. Um, 
I think I think that's healthy. But of course, that's purely individual. Parents can do whatever they want with their kids. I just thought observing it. Um, my brother had visited recently. He lives in Sweden, actually. Um, so that was just very interesting to me to observe that and have discussions about it from his angle. He grew up doing a little gaming, but not a ton. Um, I think he's the one who oh, we lost Lily. I think he's the one who introduced me or me and my brother to like, um, Unreal Tournament or maybe even CSGO or something. He, he was in the middle. He joined the Navy for four years and then he visited and like, wow, this is like game everyone's playing like Counter-Strike or something or some version of it. CS6 or 1.6. I don't know. But, and you know, back then I was barely using the internet and mostly reading like Mac Addict magazines or I might've got a PC gamer or something, but, um, yeah. So just interesting stuff, the way creative spaces, personal spaces. Yeah, I've made some amazing friends, uh, Lily and Daniel, I'd say the top two for sure. Um, another fellow named Rob, who wasn't a Mac guy, a PC guy, but playing games that were available on Mac, like Ted was talking about earlier, um, played a lot with him as well, like played through Division E Original Sin, which is like 800 hour RPG together. And I forget what else, some other games and a few PC things that I stepped into either on streaming or boot camp here and there. But um, pretty good friends with him as well. But a lot of it's just like, you know, a lot of people I find I like to play something for a while, but then I typically like to move on to something else and maybe occasionally play that other thing I used to be playing. But after, you know, like two and a half thousand hours of Black Ops or like 3000 hours of Dota, I'm like, I'm good. I want to go have some new experiences, <laughs> you know, and some people are like, absolutely. Let's go have some new experiences. Um, and as the leader of like the clans and the server owners of like Mumble or Discord or whatever, I was sort of in charge of that direction. And some people went off to play other games entirely. I didn't play like there was a big rust group that pr- broke off because sort of a, a big rust whole 10, 20 people went to get big into Rust. Some got into like Ark, these sort of MMO-ish action adventure survival games um, that I tried, couldn't really get into. Um, ended up like teaching Dota 2 for years and like Heroes of the Storm and some other fun things. So that's, there's so many things you can do in the gaming space, whether you want to play directly, whether you want to maybe help other people. Ted touched on this, helping other people. Um, it's funny because I am an introvert in the real world irl um but in the gaming space i tend to be not shy at all i tend to be like hey hi how are you let's do this thing let's team up let's make a guild let's make a clan let's go or whatever you know um so that's interesting as well i'm very comfortable in technology and i think that's where that confidence comes from um as opposed to not in technological spaces i'm less in you know less confident, definitely more, more quiet. I don't think shy is the right word, but definitely more quiet. I tend to be quiet for sure. But then when it comes to gaming, I'm like, I'll talk your off for three hours, you know? Um, yeah. I, I'd also consider myself fairly introverted, but I also think that something that makes it easier in the context of games, but also other things is that it's a structured thing, right? So when you're playing a game, there's like, we can set a goal and say, let's do this rather than just having a loose ended, like, hey you and i will talk now okay what are we talking about there's not you know there's there's a structure around games and i think that might make social interact like starting social interactions at least a bit easier i i'd agree with that um ted what do you think 
Yeah, no, that's, that sounds good. Yeah, because it gives you a common topic, or even if you're just talking about a game. Like, I, I like Casper's idea of, you know, I do a lot of, uh, you know, single-player games, too. But it'd be, it'd be really nice to talk to somebody about things and learn other experiences and stuff. So, yeah, the commonality of of that it gives you a, it gives you a, a structure, things to talk about or a, a direction, which I think that helps with interactions. Yeah, definitely. Lily, what do you think about this? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie it back into something you said earlier, if that's okay. Absolutely, whatever so you want. You were talking earlier about sort of with kids limiting um how mm. much um games are played. Um and you know, I you talked about the risks of letting a kid play too much. I found myself on the other side of that spectrum. I, you know, when I was in in high school, my parents were very controlling, and um, especially, you know, me being a girl, yay! It was it was always seen as a very boys being boys thing, play mm. video games <laughs> and all that. So, you uh-huh. know, um, but also more importantly, like, oh, you need to focus on your studies. You need to focus on your extracurriculars, on these sports you're playing, on your instruments. And it's like, I came to associate all of those things with just work. Hmm. And that was really when I would spend time with my, like, my IRL friends, my in real life friends, that I found myself not really having any time to unwind from the comfort of my home. Uh, I lived an hour away from my high school, so I couldn't ever really just go over to a friend's house, you know? Uh, so I I really did try to get into gaming, and, and I think you might remember, John, when, when we would play Black Ops together, I would always be like, hey, I can't be too loud because my parents might hear that I'm playing video games. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, and then later on, when I did have that that freedom, I don't think I regulated myself, and I kind of you know in college and after I first uh, in in that little gap period between when I enlisted and when I went to college, uh, you know, I I just didn't have the mechanisms in place to know when it was too much because I had such a structured life prior to that. Um, so, you know, I think there there is definitely, especially in the modern day with how interconnected everything is on the internet, there is some worth in actually letting kids play video games. Um, you know, I'm not even going to get into the whole like hand-eye coordination and mm. memory and you know all the things that video games can supposedly help you with. But right. the most important thing is that social aspect. Like think about the COVID lockdown. A lot of us couldn't physically go talk to people. And you know, video games was the only way, you know, especially for me being in the military, like sure, you know, some some people might might still be able to go talk to each other and and hang out and stuff. But, you know, me being in the military, if someone, you know, if an MP or something reports me being with a certain group, it's like, okay, I get in trouble, like in real life trouble. But 
but but throughout the COVID lockdown, I always had my internet groups there to give me that social aspect. And so I think video games can be a very good social development tool so long as you're within the right circles and so long as your time is um, limited to an extent that you can still have fun, you can still unwind, but you're not like what I think Casper uh, said earlier, you're not sacrificing anything, you're not losing anything because of the amount of time you're spending there. Well said, well said. Yeah, uh, I believe you're the first of us to touch on in this discussion the like unwind relaxation aspect of games. And it's something that also crossed my mind. Like, if you could also use the word escapism in some cases, you know, and it's also really cool. Uh, not because I think the world sucks or something. I'm, I'm actually an optimist. Um, <laughs> I just like different experiences. I get to go explore history or space or worlds or fantastical things. I like to play not all games, but quite a few different things. I love story things. I like exploration. I like space. I like shooters. I like strategy RPGs. So you end up in all sorts of spaces and worlds and characters and humor and action and adventure. And it's it's just a good time. It's just fun. Um, yeah, what do you think, Casper? I actually think that's something interesting there as well, because uh, games can actually have tremendous value in, in teaching things as well. You mentioned history and all sorts of things. Um, but actually, when I um, started grade school, which is ages ago now, of course, but um, I was one of the first in my class who could speak English. I'm from Denmark, as, as people who've listened prior might know. Um, but I was one of the first to speak English uh, pretty fluently. And that was actually because of video games, I'd say. Uh, because I spent so much, well, I, I say so much time. I spend enough time with video games that are usually in English. Uh, that I just picked up the language that way, right? Wow. And also, awesome. um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also things like uh, I was probably too young to play it, but still, I played uh, God of War. And um, while there's a lot of things in God of War that are not accurate to the methods it uh, portrays, I I knew about a lot of the Greek gods and things through that before I had about them at any level of school or anything like that. And, you know, you have to sort out the things that are inaccurate, but you get a baseline of knowing who Hephaestus and Zeus and Hera are and so on. And it it made it easier to learn things, I think, and have mental images of how to think about all these uh, characters you had to learn about in school. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Um, I definitely also... Um, other than, well, there's this brand of games. I don't even know if they particularly exist. They probably still exist maybe in more in like the mobile space. They call them edutainment, entertainment, education, mm -hmm. entertainment. Yeah. Um, I used to play a fair bit of those, some like math and division things. And there was like interactive encyclopedias, which were pretty cool. Um, learning about animals and this and that. But um, the historical stuff always fascinated me or the mythological stuff. Love that. You know, Greek mythology, love it. North North Norse mythology, absolutely love it. Um, so any game that features that heavily, I'm like, gimme, 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 you know. Um, you know, probably a, one of the better recent ones would be Hades. Very interesting. Of course, its own spin completely, but gives a lot of character and personality to these otherwise mythical mythical beings and um you know it, it's an interesting jumping off point as casper was saying pulls you in in a very interactive way you're not just sitting there in a desk reading a book for some people that's perfect some kids just soak that up like a sponge for others it's like oh my god get me out of here 
you need something maybe more visual, something more hands-on. Or again, okay, maybe you just put them in front of a documentary or a movie, okay, but then you're just watching. I always love the hands-on aspect. I'm controlling a character. I'm making decisions, you know. Um, That was always much more involving or I was way more invested in those kinds of experiences, whether it was educational or pure entertainment or some mix of the two um, myself. Yeah, Uh, you were. It just made me think of a couple uh, older, (laughs) older games. I mean, years ago, Simon & Schuster made a whole series of uh, Star Trek video games, which were really funny. But one of them, I'll never forget this. They had um, a part of the game. I guess Apple uh, on the Macs had uh, was they were try- trying to get into the voice recognition thing. And there was a Spanish voice recognition thing. And it was, you know, that was part of the Mac. And the the people who did this game, they actually came up with a an interactive learn how to speak Klingon. Um, game. It was part of a, a. It was called Star Trek Klingon, but a sub part of it was this this thing where you would actually on the video screen there'd be a guy dressed up as a Klingon, and he was trying to teach you the language and how to say things. And it came with a cassette tape. And I don't know if you guys remember those. <laughs> and it was like uh, you know Klingon for the business person. You know things you should say and things you should do if you got into a bar. You know how to start a fight properly and things like that. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean that's a that's a little bit on the fantasy side, but I thought that was interesting because. They were actually, you could use something like that to teach a real language, but in this case, it was a fantasy language. But another aspect that you were talking about that really appeals to me is like a lot of people watch videos, TV shows, and stuff like that. And I always like, think of most of the video games I play like an interactive novel in a sense that instead of just reading somebody else's uh, words on a page or watching the video on a screen, I get to actually partake in the world and interact in it, which to me is, it's just the next step up from reading a good novel or watching an excellent movie. And sure, I can make mistakes and stuff like that, but that's part of you know the learning process of the interface. But just getting yourself immersed into somebody else's imaginary world is just as good as a great movie or a wonderful book. And I think that's an interesting part of it. That's really what appeals to me about playing a lot of games. I absolutely agree. And I mean, a lot of every media has its advantages and its disadvantages, but the interactive nature is definitely unique and, and cool about games. Yeah, very um, much. Also, I, I came to think about um, the old game, uh, Oregon Trail. Oh yeah, um, because it, it, that was also like meant to teach about the historical aspect of uh, settling uh, America and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it also portrayed a lot of how difficult that actually could be for some folk, right? Uh, and I think that a valuable thing there, and if you were trying to teach someone about the history of that, is that you don't just tell them it was difficult for these people. Um, by playing the game and seeing that the game was difficult in the ways it were, they would not just feel like, oh, some people ages ago had it tough. They'd feel like I had it tough while trying to beat the challenges that these people actually had to go through. Um, 
the Oregon Trail also has a remastered version available on the Apple Arcade where they tried to give uh, a bit more representation to parts of the historical nature of it all that wasn't oh. represented necessarily as well in the original, like uh, Native American uh, stuff and all that kind of stuff. That's fascinating. I actually didn't know about the remaster, I don't think, on Apple Arcade. That's cool. I'm going to have to have a peek it, it at that. It was originally made as just... Um, it was made by Gameloft, and they had a, a long-made like mobile, specifically mobile games, like not an Apple Arcade cross-platform things, but very specifically mobile games. But they they made this, and it's it's actually pretty good, um, even on the Mac. <laughs> but it's kind of funny because you can see that the code base is this um, cross-platform thing, so you can resize the window and you can make it really narrow, like a mobile screen. Or fill up a widescreen. It scales really well, actually. And it works out, but it's it's funny how you can see the mobile aspect to it still. That is funny. I love what I love the point you just brought up, though, um, about having players experience the sort of challenges, or at least give them as close as you can get these days. Outside of like throwing you into a prairie with a wagon and a horse or something, um, <laughs> be like travel across this land. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like in a, in a digital way, yeah. Imparting that sense of either challenge or time theme place, you know, theme basically. Um, and that's why I do like historical stuff a lot. Um, whether it's shows or books or this and that, uh, my brother's a huge fan as well. I have two older brothers in this case. I'm referring to my, not the oldest one in Sweden, but another one that's neither here nor there, but like, he really loves period stuff. A lot, he watches a lot of period tv shows like hell on wheels or um peaky blinders or whatever um uh he used to do some gaming as well um but you know he's he's really busy so he hardly has any time these days but uh that sense of like theme and this isn't a mac game but i wanted to mention a shout out to uh assassin's creed both odyssey and um what was it uh origins uh origins is set in egypt in Egyptian mythology, Odyssey set in time of, you know, Greek and Spartans and all this stuff, and but also contains that mythological element of gods and monsters. But uh, much later down the road, a year or two after these games releases, they released a story mode. There's no combat or anything of any kind, no managing of, you know, your character. You can just wander the world and observe, and it's really cool. It's not, mm. like, the most amazing, like, learning tool, but it's it's adjacent to this idea Casper was just presenting. Like you can go and observe and try and absorb, like of course what these people are doing. Um, you're not partaking in challenges, and of course it's limited to whatever scripting the designers have done for the AI and this and that. But you can watch people go about their days and day and night cycles and shop and wander and travel and go on ships and whatever. Occasionally people will get into fights, and it's just like. It's not like the most amazing thing ever, but I think it's really neat they took what is otherwise like an action adventure game um, as, you know, Assassin's Creed famous PC console series. Wait, what am I saying? Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood were on Mac back in the day. I actually yep. reviewed Brotherhood for Inside Mac Games. Um, Wasn't there another one as well um, in that 2 Brotherhood and something? Revelations. Uh, that never made it to Mac. That oh, was... Oh there in that trilogy all about you know um altair and Ezio? what's his name Ezio, Ezio. thank you yeah so the first one and the first one came to mind just assassin's creed now assassin's creed one being set in jerusalem i thought that was far out playing it i don't know man when I, whenever it came out a really long time ago 
And yeah, it's like Middle East and deserts and get on a horse and gallop across to other cities and like climb around Jerusalem or whatever recreation or fictional or otherwise somewhat historically accurate, you know, because there's a lot of parkour in the game. You get to climb and jump and run and all this stuff, if anyone's unfamiliar. Um, and to me, that was cool. I spent a ton of time just exploring. Honestly, I may have even spent more time just running around than like stabbing people, you know, which is the point of the games back then. Now they've gotten wild, but um, back then was a lot more just like simple exploration, spy on people, this and that. But it was to me, that was my first recollection in terms of historically like theme being like, wow, like just mind blowing. Looking at it now, it's super dated, super simple, you know, um, but in terms of because, you know, so many games are made in USA or Europe. The Middle East isn't a common setting unless it's, you know, America invading somewhere or something. Um, you had to do it. You had yeah. to do it. No, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think, and I wanted to ask you, Lily, to bring you into this conversation a bit more. Specifically, as someone in the military, like, how do you feel, how well or not do you feel games either represent or simulate or whatever you want to call it, like, military just military stuff, military life, military adjacent, whatever it is, you know, as someone who's in the military, played a lot of military type games, you know, what do you, what do you feel about that? So I do have um, two other points I'd like to make, but I, I'll, I will respond to your um, question first. Uh, so I, I really think it depends on the game and I think it depends on the intent behind mm. the game. Um, Cause you know, we, we like to say, uh, games are independent of politics, but they really aren't. Um, and you can look at games like um, This War of Mine, which if um, if you don't know what that is, it's basically where you're playing as a civilian in a war zone in, in I think, a city that's like under artillery strikes and that sort of stuff, and it's full of soldiers and looters and all sorts of stuff. Um and then on the on the flip end of that, like very um, not political games would be like um, Arma Three, which is a completely fictional um, sort of setting. And you know, sure, you can argue there is still some politics in there, and that you know, CSAT is China and, and NATO is the U.S. And but it, it's it's very much designed to be more generic military story. Um, and then furthermore, looking at the intent, it's like, okay, are you looking for a tactical FPS realism shooter or are you looking for run and gun like Call of Duty? Um, mm. And so I just, you know, my my answer to that is that there is no easy answer. It's very varied. Mm. Uh, but overall, uh, I think that um, the military in video games can cannot be accurately represented simply because of the nature of what the military is mm. uh it's it's just you know it's just impossible to put that sort of environment into a video game right but you can simulate certain aspects of it uh like the arma 3 um small unit tactics is great um, you know, looking at individual soldiers and how they move in combat. Uh, you know, Escape from Tarkov has a great emphasis on gunplay. Mm. Uh, you know, like looking at the how you can modify a weapon, how you can use that weapon. Uh, 
what is it like Verdun, a lot of historical um, tactics in there. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty even across the board. And then you have some games that are just, that are just silly, that are just for fun, like Ace, Ace Combat, for example. <laughs> I don't think a pilot is ever going to have 73 missiles on their plane, but, <laughs> but that's not what the game is about. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, the point about intent, very important, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you had two other points? You. Uh... Yes, now let's see. Now here's the challenge. Will I remember them? I do remember one of them. Um, in regards to Casper's earlier point, actually, about um, what a, a, a game can, can make you feel. And, you know, I used to be a, a writer as well. I used to love writing fiction, and I still do, but, but it's not, you know, as big of a part of my life anymore. Uh, but one thing, you know, you always learn in writing is show, don't tell. And there is no better medium for that, in my opinion, than video games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to bring up the example of Mass Effect, which is actually going to tie into my second point, which I just remembered. There has been no other game that has made me feel like I'm actually emotionally invested in an inter interstellar uh space drama <laughs> than Mass Effect. And and that's not just because of the writing. I've read a lot of, of books that have similar things. I have seen a lot of movies and TV shows that have similar themes. But with Mass Effect, you feel that. You're in that story. You're watching these characters learn and grow along with you. You're you know, you're you're in these battles and the music and the intensity and and the you know the the gunplay the enemies it's all just raining in on you and you can really feel that story and that's something that no book or movie can really can really match but also on that note books have their own pros and cons and movies and tv shows have their own pros and cons and so you know it's it's something that i wish we could see more often is video games being talked about in the same light as those forms of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you see a lot in, in standard media. You know, whenever people are talking about new releases, it's it's always about a new novel or a new, you know, more often than not a new movie or TV show. And video games are always kind of treated like a side story, um, a novelty, but not really the main focus. And I think that's something that, could be looked at differently. Right. And lastly, not to take up too much time, but to no, tie that take, into my last point. Take it all. Point. Take it all. It's very interesting <laughs> to hear your perspectives. It's wonderful. Yeah, and thanks. To, but to tie that back into our original topic of community and video games, you know, even single player video games can provide that community. Uh, I remember I got into Mass Effect by talking about it with you, John. And I remember that uh, you were talking about the Renegade route, which is, for people who haven't played the game, it's kind of the more um, wild card. Your character is a bit more of a action hero badass. And I played it that way the first time because he talked about it. And I was like, yeah, that was pretty cool. But then I played it my own way. And I, I decided to go down the Paragon route, and I made different decisions than you did. And I found it so much more enjoyable when I played it that way. 
and we talked about them. We had discourse about that. And I think that's an interesting thing that these sort of video games can provide. Even if you're playing a single player game, you can, you know, you can share that story because everyone has a different experience with it. Everyone has a different view on it. And, and especially in games like Mass Effect or, or Destiny 2 or, you know, the Oregon Trail, everyone's got different experiences in it. Because the game gives you those options. And I think that's, that's another sort of social aspect that, that people don't really think about when it comes to single-player games. Is that, you know, you can, you can still share that with the community and you can talk about it with other people, like-minded people, and, and you know, bond over that. Yeah, a funny little note on that, actually. Uh, you talk about the different routes you can go down in the games like that. And I, I sometimes find myself, like, even if I want to make a quote-unquote badass move or maybe even be mean or something, if the game is written well and the characters feel believable, I'll sometimes look at the di- dialogue options and go, I can't be mean to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um no, I, I do remember, um, so back in, it must have been 2007, a uh, buddy of mine, IRL, IRL, haha, real life buddy was also into gaming, PC guy, but he also owns a Mac, has, he mixes back and forth. Um, he had this huge, chunky laptop, this, like, it could kill you if it fell on you, you know, laptop. Um, <laughs> and we played Mass Effect on it. Uh, we were both working at the same job at the time way back then and on our off days all we do is literally just play mass effect all day and we called it crack effect it was so good it was so ridiculous we were so drawn into this world for the that's reasons... where i got that from it was yeah. so new yeah no i was telling like oh my god there's this game it's so good it's crack effect and... i called it i called it crack effect to my friend and he was like what are you talking about i'm like is that not just a thing do people not say that it's just you. You did yeah. this to me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I, and I also remember, yeah, talking about this renegade and this Paragon stuff. And I was like, oh, I didn't go the Paragon route. So in this scene, in this moment, you know, what did your character do when you chose these options that I didn't? It was fascinating to hear about. I think I accused her of being a goody two-shoes or something. Um, you know, for me, not to get too much on a tangent there, but like, I don't think of myself as some like badass mean guy, but I enjoy being evil or mean in games when they give you the opportunity just because it's so completely opposite of at least who i think i am um and in mass effect it's pretty tame you know it tends up meaning like you might punch a guy out i think you can punch a reporter in the face is like a classic one um she was being very rude to be fair um and what casper was saying like oh i can't be mean to you based on these options so that i definitely feel that too in these games even on a route where i'm otherwise evil i meet someone a character who's nice or does me a good turn or is just like very interesting somehow i'm like yeah i can't do anything mean or bad to you or whatever like you're great or i'll go out of my way to like protect them if there's some reason or quest to do so or something um a uh, quick aside about Mass Effect to make it Mac related, not Mass Effect One, but Mass Effect Two. We'll we'll circle back around more to streaming in Episode Five is our current plan. So on live was the first commercial streaming endeavor that I know of back in 2011. It's called On Live. I forget the company behind it. May have just been On Live. Um, and it was a streaming thing, and it was crazy. You could create an account and stream 720p games to your monitor no no download needed it was like what it was crazy um it was ahead of its time and it died off a year or two later a few years later when bankrupt and now streaming's all the rage 10 years later um so the bandwidth like wasn't really there 
But what was interesting is that a library full of games, it works, it worked more like Stadia, 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 Google, where you had to buy the game. But cool part, you could play any game for 30 minutes free demo. Okay. That was really neat. But the point I'm getting to for Mass Effect, Mass Effect 2 was on the service. But every other game could be played. However, Mass Effect 2 was not playable on the Mac through OnLive. Why is that? You don't need a platform. Because back then, I did some digging, and because there was a Mass Effect 2 Mac port in the works by somebody, and there was a licensing issue, and they didn't want it on OnLive for Mac users because they were making it for Mac. But you ask, but where to go? I don't know. It never materialized for Mac. But it was very random. Um, it was literally the only title in the entire game you couldn't play on Mac. It wasn't a restriction. It was some like it, it's not that the computer wasn't capable of playing it. It was just streaming it. It was because they put a block on it for Mac users. That got me all hyped. And I remember talking about it back in the IMG days somewhere. There's, you know, probably some forum threads about it or something. But um, random little tidbit. Supposedly it was supposed to be coming. Didn't happen. Um, but yeah, that was that was a fun little bit of trivia for Mass Effect 2. Interesting. I remember on live, and I, I actually think I played a couple of uh, the 30 minute demos things on there, but I don't remember anything about it other than that. But yeah, it was pretty cool. And the demo concept actually seems to have died out a bit uh, in the last, well, decade maybe. Uh, but demos were pretty cool. A good way to like try out a game and see if you liked it before you uh, invested in it. I'm a huge fan of demos. I could talk about demos all day, really. Like so many like big games, big big for me games i bought because of demos whether it's like in real tournament or quake or deus ex or rainbow six or diablo 2 and all these things like you know it looks kind of interesting i might like it but i don't know if i like it enough to go spend 50 dollars on it or whatever it was and you play a demo and you're like well this is really cool i'll you know i'll buy it or i'll save up for it or whatever um demos are making a bit of a comeback but um not entirely but yeah the what's interesting and it's a shame Mass Effect never did make it to the Mac and even just a single game, Mass Effect 2 would have been a pretty good one. What's interesting, what Lily was talking about is in this, you know, if anyone's unfamiliar with Mass Effect, um, you can choose your squad mates and how you interact with them and whether you're friendly or sort of rude or help them in like their personal problems or romance them or whatever, all these options and who you choose to bring in the battle. And I think it, you know, even though it's sci-fi, space adventure, soap opera, a little bit intergalactic stuff... Um, the presentation was really, really good. You know, the camera angles, the voice acting, the dialogue options. Um, there's a lot of lore behind the game as well. It created a really believable world. There was this whole really cool codex, almost, um, you could almost say like scholarly like. Everything was like organized and fully voiced and, um, you know, lots of text and photos to describe how all the like the technology worked in the world and where all the races came from. It was just really believable. And then you add in these characters you can choose to bring with you into battle on the quest, help them out. And other war games do this, like shout out to old Gearbox, like oh, I think not was it Band of Brothers? That's the TV show. They made something brother something. I can't remember the name, but it was like this World War II, you know, like tight knit, story driven you know, shooter game, same thing. You got your mates and it's battle and all this stuff. Your Brothers in Arms? Yes, thank you. I'm terrible with names. Brothers in Arms. Uh, Band of Brothers is the TV show. Also very good. Um, so Mass Effect didn't simulate that exactly, but the combination of the, like, out-of-combat elements and choosing to bring along with you, like, oh, this is my favorite guy or gal, or I like them. It wasn't... I mean, some players might play this way, 
like, uh, you know, I just need to fill, you know, I need a soldier in my squad. I'm going to just add this person. I don't think anyone really played that way. Or if they did, I would argue they're playing like they're missing the point of the game. The point of the game was those relationships Lily was talking about and that that immersion of those characters and the story and the combination of it was was amazing. And talking about, yeah, um, the shared space. The game was a huge hit, created a huge community, still is big today. A remaster was released just recently, you know, again, not on Mac, sadly, but very interesting in relation to this, you know, whole game space, game connectivity theme we've been talking about. Good example. Uh, the, the game, uh, The Outer Worlds, has a similar squat mechanic, and you actually have this basically the same kind of selection screen when you leave the ship with which squad mate you bring. Um, but something I've jabbered on about at length in, in other conversations, I think, but um, something that kind of takes me away from the believability of the characters in Mass Effect is that almost no matter who you choose, you can romance them. Like, it's always you who go like, oh, I fancy you, and they always go, hey, I fancy you back no matter what, right? <laughs> you can choose to play as a man or a woman, everybody fancies you if you fancy them. Um, and something I think The Outer Worlds does really well is that you're not the center of the universe in that aspect. Some characters can fancy other people that aren't you, and they can like ignore you, and you don't have to be the most important person in the entire world when you play the game. I think more of that in video games could be interesting where you don't necessarily need to be romanceable with everybody else or something like that. Because like, what real-world individual would necessarily fancy you just because you fancy them? I mean, some, some people are going to fancy you when you fancy them, but not being fancied by other people is a real thing. And people, even fictional people, characters in these games, I think should also sometimes have the agency to say, hey, I'm not interested. Thank you, but I'm not interested. Or even hit on you without you engaging in that. I think that could be interesting. And then you'd be confronting players with a new choice of not just who do I want to choose, but also maybe having to say no to someone if they don't fancy them in the game or something, which I think is is not explored a lot currently. It is actually... Um... Not, not to, you know, dive down this rabbit hole too much, but it is actually in Mass Effect that uh, um, not every character is romanceable, um, especially, you know, me being a huge lesbian. It's like um, during Mass Effect 1, 2, especially since that was kind of, you know, political climate, um, homosexual relationships were still very frowned upon. To put it lightly, you know, so there wasn't as much of that. Um, but it was, it was a big deal. It was in the game. Yeah. At the time, um, yeah. And, um, but yeah, Commander Shepard, the Mass Effect main character, is very much the center of the universe. Which, yeah. you know, to be fair, though, he slash she, I think they deserve it. They definitely oh, no, I, deserve I mean, it. I, I, <laughs> I think that there's... I'm not trying to say that there shouldn't be games where you are the center of the universe because, I mean, as the player of the game, just like you would think of the protagonist of a novel or a film or something, you want to have special significance. But I also think that there is an unfulfilled space, a void, so to speak, in the video games industry of games where you're not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. Um I get the gist of what you're saying. As Ellie mentioned, some characters are not romanceable based on man or woman, but 
also true a wide selection of them will say yes to you. There's just it's more of a minority uh, as far as I know. Um, so your point it could also be personality things though. Like yeah. instead of just making it sexuality, they could also be mm-hmm. like, I don't like the way you act. I don't want to. Yeah. You know. No, it's. It, I agree. Your your general point is coming across. Um, what Lily said is also valid, and I'm glad she said it. Um, the the but it, but it it's true. I agree. The average game is you're the hero, you're the center of the universe, or whatever hero moniker you want to use. You're important. You're the star of the thriller or the murder mystery or whatever it is. Um, and I absolutely agree that it's an unexplored space that maybe you're not the most important person or maybe you're just an average person. And I think a very interesting game that did this, again, not Mac, but it's related to the discussion, uh, Kingdom, Kingdom Come Deliverance, if you've ever messed around with that. Um, it's a historical, like, pseudo-sim game. You just, you're just a peasant. You're just a dude. And you just kind of go around and do stuff. Uh, and you get sucked up into some... You get drafted into, like, a night order or something, but you're a total schlub. You know, you have no training. Like, a simple bandit can just, you know, totally stomp you. It's not like you just run around, like, Skyrim or whatever fantasy game and haha, and, you know, just hack people up. You have to, like, train really hard, and there's all these, you know, sim-related adjacent stats with, like, food and survival and drunkenness and even cleanliness, and it's, like, fairly, like can you know people will comment if you haven't showered and stuff uh you know but you're just a total unimportant peasant who does plenty of adventures in the game maybe you save a few people but it's not like you're saving the princess in the castle you're just like helping out some villager like it's very basic but the game got quite a lot of good buzz this came out a few years ago released a couple expansions maybe they've been making a sequel but that is a very interesting space i also agree like Lily was saying, Commander Shepard deserves it. I was I was hoping you would make a pun about what your favorite shop of the Citadel was. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite shop. You get discounts for doing like ads for people if you agree in in, in Mass Effect. Um, but that sort of player agency is also important. Exploring whether it's identity or um, traits. Some uh, more like hardcore RPGs do this better, like your Baldur's Gate stuff. Um, more like pulling from true tabletop systems, either hiding them or directly using them. In the case of Baldur's Gate 3, it's like there's like a dice shaking around on the screen and some resolving encounters and whatever. Yeah, Baldur's Gate uh, 3 is, is literally the D&D 5e system. Yeah. Um, and there, that, as far as I understand, I have messed around with it a bit. Um, you know, characters will leave your party or break off a romance if you do things against those characters' values or... You know, you hurt them in some way or, or miss out on something really important to them. Like, they'll they'll let you know, like, hey, like, this is a problem. They've done that even in some older games way back when. There's the Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, and some other games I'm not remembering. Um, but I agree that it's unexplored, that idea. And I would personally, this conversation's taken a bit of a turn, but still, um, I would like more of a blend of those two, maybe, where... Even if you are somebody important, but there's also more the like other character agency going on, and maybe yeah, people will come up and hit on you or talk to you or befriend you or hate you for some reason. You know, you may not know, and this shows up in little ways in various games. But I think it could be explored more. Um, it could be it could be explored more, especially with the technology you know they have these days. I mean, require maybe a bigger team like indie games explore like fractions of these concepts in often very interesting ways, whether it's psychological, mental, emotional, uh, or these short stories about, um, uh, Lily, did you ever play gone home? 
I don't believe so. Oh, but okay. It would be. You need to play that. You, you really need to play that. I cried you, so hard when I played it. <laughs> right? Um, I, I have heard about it. Um, okay. And it's, you know, it's it's one of those games that I have on on the list, TM. So, <laughs> well, it's, it wouldn't take long. Two or three hours or something to play through it. You could just knock it out yeah, in an evening or two. Um, I have it on the Switch, um, on oh, the Nintendo okay. Switch. So. Well, I, I don't want to spoil the story for you, but um it's really i was it's the first game i recall just being and this was actually on the topic list as well like how do games make us feel i was so moved by the story even though i couldn't necessarily relate to it with the exact characters i don't want to say more for spoiling the story because it unravels over the few hours of exploring this house and the characters relationships through like notes and tapes and all this stuff and letters it was just so moving and so well done and you're the only character in the you you're the only character in the game. There's no other like voiceovers other than tapes. There's maybe some phone calls or something. Um, but there's no other like visible NPCs who like walk around or you watch them or something. You're just exploring the space, but the story is so well done and the ending is so like heart wrenching. Yeah, I was just I was just it really stuck with me for days or weeks even back when I played it several years ago. Uh they're the same people who made Tacoma as well, not as uh, gut-wrenching a story. Um, but there's these very interesting explorations of games like Gone Home. It's really, like, it's never a game I don't think, like, a kid could play and enjoy because it's like, well, this this is boring or this is stupid. Like, I think it's a kind of game, I would go as far as to say, like, unless you have some, some either, it's like a game you need to have some notion what love is or being in love is to really comprehend, at least in some capacity, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Um really cool though and more games like that i think are also good um for the medium like tying back to what lily was saying games as a platform or as a medium don't have this sort of don't enjoy the same prestige as things like novels and movies in the general society you know fabric of society or the same sorts of awards and recognition and all this stuff occasionally it pops out and things hop into the mainstream a little bit but not super commonly we tend to be within our own realm of Gamers, geeks, nerds, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, Gone Home, amazing. I can't think of another one, but I can't think of names or just random indie games I've played that explore something psychological um, or, again, explore something um, love-related or even in some cases something heavier, like suicide. I mean, um, you have to obviously do these those kinds of things very carefully and um, intelligently, and some of them do. Uh, and of course, sometimes people just make these random troll games that release on, you know, Steam or whatever, because there's no censorship or what not censorship. That's the wrong word. No filtering. I can't think of the right word. Um, I don't know. You run around and you're a school shooter. Ha ha ha. Like, I don't think those kind of games should be made. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that crosses a line. I don't think anybody should be comfortable with, you know, like this is, you know, if people have violent, fantasies towards yourself or others well i urge you to seek counseling and you know immediately uh and that kind of thing shouldn't be explored in the realm of fantasy and fiction that's not that's not good you know that's just bad um that's just it's, was, it's, yeah it's just no good a, a single level in modern warfare 2 comes to mind that uh set back the acceptance of video games in the mainstream by like a decade and a half remember no russian Actually, I mean, I think that was an overreaction. That was actually, again, player choice. You didn't have to fire a shot. 
in that level. You could just walk through. Uh, you're, you're, I think they might make a comment or two, like, why aren't you firing even or something? But they don't, like, force you to shoot. It's up to you. Yeah. Um, I and confess, the level I, was, like, skippable I, and all that. But... I confess I did some shooting. Um, but, yes, but it, it was. But it plays into that sensationalism. It does, but I think it was... I mean, I actually think Modern Warfare 1, 2, and 3 have a really good story, personally. I mean, is it, like, realistic or a great representation of the military? Probably not. But in terms of connecting three shooter games together over many years, and not in the same way like Mass Effect might do with, like, save files transferring over and all this stuff, um, but in terms of, like, characters and the arc, and, like, I think World War Three breaks out on the end, and cities are, like, collapsing, getting bombed. I mean, I'm a sucker for spectacle, I guess, but, you know, there's some really key, like, twists and betrayals and some really exciting levels. So, um, like if they had made that level, no Russian and forced people to shoot. Yes. No good. A lot of players probably did because they probably felt they had to, but that was the interesting part. You didn't have to, you could just walk along with your gun. And I, I didn't shoot a um, a single civilian. (laughs) I I shot, I think three. Sorry. Sorry. Civilians. Um, you're a horrible person. I am. Um, and they have, but the stories were quite good in general. Um, in the latest Modern Warfare 2019, again, sadly not on Mac, also had the same, like, disturbing content warning. I don't remember what the level was. I think it's some, like, flashbacks when you're kids and you have to escape and shoot a guy or something like that. But it was actually really well done. And, mm-hmm. you know, little kid's hands are shaking and there's this heavy gun and people are, like, trying to kill him or kidnap their family. Like, they're under duress. It's self-defense. It's not like kids running around shooting people. Um, and I thought the story overall was like responsibly done. That was my opinion. Someone else may not agree. Um, but I think go ahead, Casper. Uh, Speaking of of good stories and shooter games, though, have, uh, any of you played, um, ah, what was it called? Uh, it took place in Dubai. Um, Uh, Spec Ops the Line. Oh, Uh, that one is available on Mac. Though I'm not sure it runs on newer Mac OS. Uh, it at least had problems with Mojave, so it, it might even be 32 bits or not run after that. But it was on Mac at least. It definitely ran on my 2013 MacBook Air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely amazing game. I actually wrote a piece on uh, Mac Game Store back when they were doing some features when the site launched. They're still there, though I don't even know if there's a menu option to see them, but it's technically published. Uh, and the piece was entitled Why Everyone Should Play Spec Ops the Line. Oh, I remember that. Really just such a subversive game. It draws you in. We're running a little long here, so we'll wrap this up. But huge fan of that game is someone coming from that traditional like run and gun Call of Duty or sort of more like war as entertainment in a sense, honestly. Spec Ops yeah, starts that way and draws you in thinking it's just going to be your you know, dude bro, military shooter in the desert thing and completely slowly just warps into something absolutely brilliant and different and very subversive and very actually shows you the true horrors of war and makes you feel them. In some cases, forces you to unknowingly commit horrors. And then you, but then you go and like, it's an old game, so I can spoil this. Um, You're told to, uh, Lily, you may have to help me out with the, like ammo type here it's like phosphor i think phosphorus rounds um, oh like white yeah. peter the stuff that like burns people horribly yep um you're forced to through like a, a screen like an artillery screen or something bomb this 
what they tell you is enemies in the way to clear the path for your tanks or something. And then you have to walk through later. And the game actually forces you to walk. You can't run. Normally you can run, but the game actually cuts that option <laughs> off. You have to walk slowly through this just encampment of was civilians and refugees. And you just torched all of them. And there's just bodies of kids and women and children. And, and some of them are still crawling around burning. It's just horrible. And you're like, holy shit. What did I just <laughs> do? You know? Um, and probably, you know, at least unknowingly was affected by that game. I'm not going to lie. Like just, especially since my first job in the military was calling in artillery rounds. Right. Like it was just such a powerful thing that stuck with me that I explicitly remember we were talking about calling in smoke. I explicitly remembered yeah, that smoke is Willy Pete. That's phosphorus. Like, you don't want to call that in unless you're absolutely sure that you're calling it in on uh, in either an enemy or an unoccupied area because that is just torture. Right. For sure. Yeah. But brilliant, brilliant game. It goes on to also, first it's framing you as, the, again, you know, you're the heroes, you're saving every, you know, you're the saviors of the land of Dubai or whatever. I'm broadly speaking, um, but it's later basically revealed that you're the bad guys and you're totally gone rogue and you're doing all sorts of horrible things and you're losing your mind. And it's just there's three or four different endings as well based on your choices, including like a secret one. Uh, totally wild game. And I wish, as Casper was saying, like unexplored space, I wish more games like that were made, whether military or not, even in other spaces. But I think it's important um, in like the military shooter space, because they're so common, you know, it, it people don't take it like too much for granted or cheapen it too much. I don't know what the right w word is to say, but that game was really just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I wish there was more like that. The intro title screen when you select to continue playing or go into options or whatever also changed as you progressed into the story and the music that plays is like uh, a distorted version of the u.s national anthem or something like that and it just gets more and more distorted as you go along <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nicely done right yeah, at, at first like i remember the main menu music is very like heroic and then at the end it's just dark yeah, took a bit of inspiration from um, Woodstock when Jimi Hendrix threw a distortion on his guitar and played the, the U.S. National Anthem. Oh, that's cool. Right, you have some uh, interest in, in music and guitars and things. <laughs> um, but, as, but touching upon that again on the, on, the, on the changing of the theme, I also recall, again, your squad started out really clean and crisp militarily, all whatever the jargon is. Again, how accurate that was, I'm not sure lily may have a comment there um let's just say it was reasonably accurate anyway um but as the game went on that order started breaking down you started like screaming at your squad mates and they at you your characters start using like more language um you get more aggressive when you shoot people like joyous your character he starts like grooving like on like killing people it just it gets really twisted and really dark yeah. um I think some like Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now type stuff woven in there as well. Um, but yeah, music's changing. I think even some of the colors subtly change to be a little harsher or some of the effects even. And there's really interesting color palette despite being set in a desert largely. Or this uh, like, what do you call them? Sandstorms and stuff. Yeah, absolutely amazing mm -hmm. game. The devs are still around. Uh, 
Ye- I think it's Jaeger Interactive. They were supposed to be making Dead Island 2 for years. Uh, again, Dead Island 1 had a Mac version. Uh, but then they got pulled as the devs, and someone else took on the project. And now Jaeger, I forget what they're making. They're they're still around, those same developers. Um, but they aren't like, they haven't like made it big and made tons of titles and this and that, um, sadly. But they're definitely, they're, they're around somewhere working on something. I'd have to look it up. Um, but yeah. I don't know if Spec Ops can still be played. Um, 32-bit Apocalypse may have done it in. May have to be played in some other manner. But if you can get your hands on it, um, well worth it for sure. All right, lady and gents, we should probably wrap this up. Um, but it's been been really cool. And I think we touched on a lot of very interesting points and a lot of very interesting perspectives from all of us. Um, any other closing thoughts, comments, or whatever? Anyone's free to make, but I'm uh, I'm set. Casper, anything you wanna you wanna add? It's been good as always. Ted, sir, how about you? No, I'm good. You're the best, Lily. Yeah, it was fun. Remember to drink water; it's hot out there. Stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you, I've been, yeah, I've been drinking. I think I actually hit my microphone with a glass of water at some point. <laughs> go edit that out, maybe. You can um, refer to my uh, Discord status for my thoughts on this matter. <laughs> Wait, hydra oh <laughs> for a second i thought you were referring to your uh something else yeah makes sense okay well thank you very much this has been wonderful that'll do us for episode three and um episode four will be coming next week so thanks very much everyone have a good night or casper's case a good morning thank you for staying up so late <laughs> for us 3 a.m i think for you uh, you're a rock star. And Lily, really love that you came on. Really cool perspectives. Same for Ted. Love it. Great stuff. So thanks, guys. Yep. Good thanks night. Yeah, I would love to swing by again. Thank you. Please do. We'd love to have you back. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.